Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello and welcome to LawPod. I am Dr Lauren Dempster. I am a lecturer here at the School of Law at Queen's University Belfast. I am delighted to be joined by my colleague today, Dr David Capper. David is a reader here in the School of Law and he's here to discuss third-party litigation funding. So thank you for joining us, David. Thank you very much, Lauren, for allowing you to speak on this subject. Oh, yeah, we're, we're delighted to have it covered. I think a useful starting point, David, for our listeners would be if you could tell us what third-party litigation funding is. Well, basically, third-party litigation funding is where a third party to litigation between two parties we may call A and B provides different forms of financial assistance to enable A to assert his or her rights against B. Okay, so in practice then, how does that work? There are basically two ways in which it can be done. The most common is that the funder simply provides finance to the claimant's lawyers to prepare the case, gather the evidence, instruct counsel if necessary, and uh, take the proceedings through the court. The other way, which is much less common and is still very much in the course of development is where the claimant A simply assigns, that is, sells the claim to the funder. So as the claimant can probably get some money up front and then the funder takes over the management of the case for its own benefit. Okay, thanks, David. I mean, I guess with any research, we always have the sort of so what question. So could you say something about why this issue of third party dedication is important? Well, it's very important because going to court or asserting your right to anything that involves litigation, that involves using the legal process, is a very expensive experience. It costs a lot of money to instruct lawyers to work on your behalf. Sometimes a lawyer may be prepared to take a case on on a speculative basis, whereby they will only be paid if the litigation is successful and then the defendant has to pay the costs. If the litigation is unsuccessful, the lawyer will then not charge their client a professional fee, although they may ask the client to pay any expenses such as witness statements, expert witness reports and the like of that, which the lawyer has had to uh, procure in order to present the case. But even where you have a lawyer who is prepared to take a case on on a speculative basis, if you lose a case, you have to pay costs to your successful opponent. And that is the principal barrier to people going to court these days, the fear that if they lost the case, they would have to pay a very large sum of money to the defendant in the event that the litigation was successful. Something like 40 years ago, 80% of the population was covered by legal aid. 
And back then, this was not such a problem. But legal aid is a pale shadow of what it used to be in those days. It's available today only for the very poorest of people. And it has been withdrawn from a great many categories of litigation. And there just really isn't any alternative out there. Thanks, David. So it sounds like this raises then important issues around access to justice, and we'll come back to that a little bit later in the podcast. I think what would be helpful in terms of sort of context, if you could tell us a bit about the kinds of cases where we see third-party litigation funding being used. Well, at the moment, it tends to be used overwhelmingly in high-value commercial claims, Mm -hmm. where the claimant is claiming something like £1 million in damages or even more. The funder will not fund litigation unless the funder is convinced, first of all, there's a lot of money can be recovered. Secondly, that the prospects of success are very good. And thirdly, if the claim results in a judgment or a settlement out of court, where the defendant is undertaking to pay damages, that the defendant is actually able to pay those damages, that the defendant is solvent, in other words. Now, that doesn't sound as if third-party litigation funding today has got a great deal to do with access to justice, because it seems as if only a very small category of claims would ever be funded. But it is important to recognise that even people who are quite well off and even companies have access to justice rights. It's important also to remember that the industry is nascent and it is developing. And what we have started with, high-value commercial claims, may well be extended into other claims in future as experience grows. There is one category of non-high-value commercial claim that is sometimes handled at the moment through litigation funding. And this would be where you have a very large number of consumer-type claims. Take, for example, something like personal protection insurance. There were a lot of people that um, paid money to take out personal protection insurance in the event that they lost their jobs. And some of these people were self-employed, who had no jobs to lose. So they paid money, not a lot of money, but they did pay some money for something that was of no use to them whatsoever. And a lot of these people have claims to restitution of the money that they have paid. Very few of those individuals would take legal action themselves. Not enough money is at stake to make it worth the hustle. But what you can do is you can aggregate all these claims, put them into the hands of a litigation funder, who will then take the case and split any recoveries between the consumers and themselves. Thank you, David. So you mentioned there that currently third-party litigation is used in quite a narrow range of cases. Do you think there is scope for expansion and how that how might that feed into the access to justice issues that you mentioned previously? Well, I think that there's definitely scope for development uh, as experience grows. In thinking about this in preparation for today's podcast, 
I thought of the possibility that third-party litigation funding might be used in mediation scenarios. Uh, the way we've talked about it so far makes it sound as if it could only be used for going to court. Well, of course, a great many cases today start off as mediations. There is absolutely no reason in principle why third-party litigation funding cannot be used to support people going through a dispute resolution process like mediation. What would be necessary, I think, is for the rules of the game, as it were, to make clear what the role of a funder is in a mediation scenario. Mediation is an attempt to avoid going to court. And sometimes you find in mediation that an offer of settlement is made. What if the funder is not happy about the offer of settlement, say because it's not going to result in the claimant receiving enough money to give to the funder a nice fat fee for the services that it has provided. So I think rules are going to be necessary in that scenario to ensure that the funder doesn't take over the mediation and run it for its own benefit. It may have a right to be consulted about the kind of offer that is made, but it should not have the right to make the decision as to whether this offer is accepted. I think that one area where if litigation funding is going to prove to be a long-term success in terms of delivering access to justice, it is going to have to make inroads into would be personal injury litigation. Now, at the minute, not very many personal injury cases would be worth enough money to get funders interested. But if the industry were to develop, funders might be interested in smaller value claims. The obstacle to um, litigation funding being involved in um, personal injury litigation at the moment is probably the amount of money which the claimant would have to give up from his or her claim in order to have the case funded by a litigation funder. At present, in the United Kingdom, a lot of personal injury cases are funded via conditional fee agreements. Now, under these agreements, the lawyer is only paid if the case is successful. If the case is successful, the lawyer will recover costs, the professional fee included, from the defendant. And the defendant will pay an accretion to those costs over and above the normal costs where there is no conditional fee agreement to reflect the fact that the lawyer is taking the case on on the basis that fail and I don't get paid anything at all. Now, in contrast to the situation in America where you have contingency fees, in contingency fees, the lawyer is paid a portion of the damages recovered 
under a conditional fee, the claimant doesn't have to give up any part of his or her damages to the lawyer representing them. So they tend to get a larger proportion of the damages actually recovered in the litigation. That's probably where there's going to be resistance to the assignment of personal injury cases to funders, what the client is going to have to give up. Now, I think it is possible that we may go in the direction of contingency fees in the United Kingdom, in which case clients would be giving up a portion of their damages to their lawyers in the event that the case was successful. <clears throat> and consequently, the objection to assigning a claim would not be quite such a potent objection in that scenario. The advantage of assignment, as indicated earlier, is that the client is likely to get money up front, which would be attractive to a great many litigants as opposed to waiting for an uncertain outcome. And it is always an uncertain outcome. There are no guarantees of winning. There will be some cases that get assigned to a funder. The funder processes the case and the funder recovers nothing at all. There's a case where if the client had remained the litigant, the client would have got nothing at all. But by virtue of assigning the claim, has ended up getting something. I see. Thank you, David. Is there scope for third-party litigation in terms of in terms of public interest litigation? That's something that, if it happens, is very much on the long-term horizon. The bottom line is that third-party litigation funders aren't altruists. They are doing this because of the recovery that they can make themselves from any damages that are recovered. Public interest litigation doesn't tend to offer very much scope for litigation funders to earn a lot of money. But there is perhaps a bigger picture here. Um, any non-government organisation or anyone else who is taking on public interest litigation is going to have to fundraise. They're going to have to get funding from somewhere. And it may be possible that third-party litigation funders contribute to the funding of a public interest case. It may be a way in which they do corporate social responsibility. There may not be monetary reward, but there could be reputational reward. It could be a way of boosting the image of a litigation funder where they can say to the market, we're not just all about the money we make. We do actually support worthy causes. Thanks, David. That's really interesting to think about the, the possible motivations there. Um, to move on then a little bit, my understanding is that we don't see third-party litigation funding in Ireland. Uh, could you say a bit more about why that's the case? Well, the origins of this are ancient common law principles of maintenance and champerty. Basically, maintenance is providing support for litigation that is not your own. And Champerty is providing support for litigation that is not your own 
in return for a share of any damages that are recovered. Now, way back in the Middle Ages, this was very much a taboo matter. Because what was happening back then was that rich and powerful landowners were buying up the rights to sue of all sorts of other people for the specific purpose of harassing their enemies. There was an abusive process. Very often, these rich landowners were in the know of court officials and could manage through payment of the equivalent in medieval times of the brown envelope job, secure a favourable verdict. So what happened was that these principles were introduced that effectively banned any third party from supporting litigation at all. For a time, it was even impossible to provide third party litigation support taking the form of legal representation. Even the work of barristers and solicitors was banned because that was maintenance and shamperday. Now it's gradually been relaxed over the centuries, but an element has remained in recent history. There is hostility to what the Irish courts have called trafficking and litigation. In one of the recent Irish cases about litigation funding, the Chief Justice of Ireland coined this phrase, it would be naive to fail to realise that the practice of law is a business, but the administration of justice is not. The Irish courts are not comfortable with litigation being used as a way for people to make money. Courts in other common law jurisdictions have been less anxious about maintenance and champerty because they have realised that all other forms of financial support for litigation have effectively faded away to virtually nothing. And they have had to relax the rules on maintenance and champerty. Otherwise, people would find there was virtually no financial support available for them for their litigation. Thanks, David. It's really it's fascinating to hear that detail of the Irish context. Can you envision uh, any change from the, the Irish courts in this matter? Well, I think there has to be change. That is recognised. The Law Reform Commission of Ireland is looking at this. And in the very litigation that I referred to, where the Chief Justice coined that expression, the then Chief Justice of Ireland, Mr Justice Frank Clark, and in another case as well, serve notice that if the legislator in Ireland doesn't act by way of introducing a statutory scheme that allows for third-party litigation funding, the courts will have no choice but to develop the common law in the way the courts in England and other common law jurisdictions have. So it's a waiting game at the moment. The courts don't really want to take on responsibility for this. They would prefer if the legislator were to do it because the industry will have to be regulated. 
some rules will have to be introduced to determine what funders can do, what right to be consulted uh, about litigation they have, to what extent can they interfere in the litigation and protection for defendants who are faced with uh, a litigant who has a powerful litigation funder behind them. These detailed rules need to be looked at. The courts in Ireland are saying we would prefer if the legislator did that. Um, but eventually something will have to be done. Thank you, David, and thank you for sharing your insights into what sounds like an emerging area of, of research interest. Do you think there will be change in this regard in Ireland? Well, in addition to what I said a little earlier, Lauren, one reason why I think there will have to be change is connected to Brexit. One of the consequences of Brexit is that Ireland is now the only common law jurisdiction within the European Union. There is a great opportunity for Ireland to become a hub for legal services, including litigation and wider dispute resolution services. But if Ireland does not embrace litigation funding, if it doesn't give people the means to bring cases and bring arbitrations and bring mediations in Ireland, then this will be a very, very big missed opportunity. So I think that is bound to be a major pressure point for change in the years ahead. Thank you, David, for joining us today. That was a really interesting episode. And thank you to everyone for listening. Well, thank you very much for making this possible and giving me the opportunity. (laughs) 